Hello, and thank you for listening to the Wrestling with Fatherhood podcast. I'm glad that you're here. Wrestling with Fatherhood is all about equipping dads to discover their strengths, understand their value, develop their goals, and live out their dreams to become their children's biggest heroes. Man, today I'm so pleased to introduce my friend, Paul McKinley. Paul, man, welcome to the show. Thank you, and um, it's a pleasure to be here with you. Oh, man, I'm glad and and can't wait to jump into this interview. I know you're going to deliver a lot of really good uh, gold nuggets. So, Paul, for those people who don't know you, tell us a little bit about yourself and your family. Well, uh, my family is my wife of 28 years and my son, Jesse, who works in the D.C. area as a software developer. My wife is a kitchen and bath consultant. She designs kitchens and baths for people. Uh, She and I both have mechanical engineering degrees. Uh, I personally spent most of my career doing computer support, even with the engineering degree. Uh, But in the last year, I've switched over to doing uh, coaching, personal development coaching. Uh, That's awesome. So I know from talking to you and and different things, there's two main areas that you coach and that you help people in, uh, in their lives. So one of the big ones is forgiveness, and the other one, of course, is personal development. So where does this passion for forgiveness, where does it come from? Well, it, uh, it sort of came out of my first book, The Rules of the Spirit, uh, which gives a good understanding of how spirit works compared to how the world works. You know, you heard we're in the world, not of the world, uh, and that paradigm that I developed in writing that book really touches on uh, forgiveness. And forgiveness is something that, unfortunately, most people don't understand what forgiveness really is and what it means to forgive and why you would want to forgive. So that's uh, where the passion comes out. After I wrote the book, Rules of the Spirit, I kept having people show up to me that needed help with forgiveness. You know, you've heard the expression that when the student is ready, the teacher will appear well, it works the other way, too. When the teacher is ready, the student will appear. So that's uh, the forgiveness part of things. And then, of course, the personal development is based on uh, having written that book and the follow-on book, The Energy of Forgiveness, uh, and you know, helping people with that. I realized that my passion, you know, I used this passion when I was doing computer consulting, and the passion is for helping people and sharing knowledge you know, helping uh, elevate people's ability to do whatever they're doing better through sharing the knowledge that I have. But I realized that, you know, if I go share knowledge about the computer, that's kind of like the Zen thing, you know, uh, give a man a fish, teach, uh, feed him for a day, teach a man to fish, feed him for a lifetime. Well, the computer stuff is feeding people for a day, whereas the life coaching and the personal development coaching the things that I teach people in that makes an impact on them for the rest of their life. And it's just, I can't describe how much fun it is, how much, how enjoyable it is to have a little conversation with somebody and the little light goes on over their head. And it's like, Oh, that's the way that works. And, you know, just a little tweaks in the way people think and the way that they're um, doing things can make such a big difference in their lives and they're much happier, they get better results in what they're doing. So, you know, 
that's where the coaching thing comes about. And that is just, you know, I, I feel much better about the knowledge that I'm sharing about that because I know it's going to help them the rest of their life. That's great. I love that. One of the things that you said I want to zoom in on a little bit is you talked about this idea of people being in the spirit versus people in the world when it comes to this idea of forgiveness. Right. You know, people who, who have a, a spiritual nature are, are, are Christians or believers, you know, we, we understand that this idea of forgiveness is a lot more for us than it is for the other person. And a lot of times in the world, we get this idea of, uh, you know, if somebody hits us, you know, it's time for us to hit them back twice as hard, right? And right. so, well, you know, the Bible says an eye for an eye and a tooth for a tooth, but that is Old Testament, not New Testament. So what do you think, why do you think we have a problem in the world with this idea of forgiveness? It, you know, it's, it's not just a, a Christian concept, but why do you think it's, it's so difficult for the world to get behind this idea of forgiveness? Well, unfortunately, despite the the idea that Christians could have that forgiveness is for the forgiver, in Western society, we really still believe that forgiveness is for the person that's being forgiven. So, and that's uh, further from the truth. By the way, forgiveness can be related to a person, a thing, like that piece of furniture that you just stubbed your toe against. <laughs> It could be just an event like a tornado or an earthquake or something like that. So it could be a person, thing, or an event. And uh, it, the, the common misconception is, and I, I find that most people have this problem, that they think in terms of, oh, I can hold unforgiveness over you and get you to do what I want. Well, I got news for you. The only ones that that works with are the people that really care about the relationship with you. And at that point, it's not about forgiveness. It's about manipulation. But the thing that we also don't understand or that we, we may have, we may have been introduced to the intellectual concept of it. And that is that by withholding forgiveness, by hanging on to that negative emotion, we're actually producing disease in ourselves. Uh, the Course in Miracles says that all disease is the result of unforgiveness. Yeah, that is, that is completely true. I remember when talking to uh, people doing prison ministry, I would talk to these uh, people who hadn't forgiven different people, the men in their life, the people who had done them wrong. And it's funny because one of the things that I always would say to them is not forgiving someone is like drinking poison and expecting them to get sick. And I right. love what you just said there because it, it, it's, it's a great parallel. When we hold forgiveness from the other person, that's literally what we're doing is we're drinking poison and we're expecting the other person to suffer. Instead, right. we hold on to it so tight that it ends up hurting us, whether that's physically, mentally, emotionally, spiritually. Some of the more advanced cancer centers now have, in, in, integrated uh, forgiveness therapy in their cancer therapy because uh, I think one of the statistics, uh, statistics that I had read uh, just in the last week or so is that something like 60% of cancer patients have a serious issue with forgiving. 
I mean, not just that, oh, there's some little thing in the past, you know, but I mean, really something that they're having a lot of angst and uh, negative emotion about. Now, maybe it would be helpful for me to, to describe my understanding of what it means to forgive. My understanding of what it means to forgive is simply to let go of the negative emotions related to an event. That's all it means. It doesn't mean forget. In fact, uh, one of the work or the workshop that I do on forgiveness uh, is called the energy of forgiveness. I actually um, have an exercise where I have people go back and try to remember what is their earliest memory. Do you know what your earliest memory is? Think about it. What is your earliest memory and how old were you? Uh, through the, through pictures, I would say, I remember riding on a lawnmower with my foster parents, uh, now, probably when I was probably mean, three years old. I'm sorry. Was that because you saw the picture and you remember that, or is that you have the picture in your mind independent of physical pictures that you've seen? I, I think a little bit. Of, okay. So my first memory that I can remember is we had a styrofoam and, and there's no pictures of any of this that I know of. We had a styrofoam airplane and oh, I remember yeah. throwing it and it ended up on my, my foster parents roof and they would not go up and get it. <laughs> Ooh. So that, that, that's probably it my, <laughs> it did blow off, right? I, I think so. I don't ever remember seeing it again. <laughs> okay. Now, how old were you in that memory? Uh, I would have been three or, yeah, I, I probably would have been three. Okay. My first memory is a still image of uh, a house that I lived in when I was two years old in Falls Church, Virginia. I remember standing in the doorway and looking into the living room and the living room was kind of, um, oh, what do you call it? It's at a lower level than the, the hallway was. And I remember the way the furniture was. Uh, interestingly, some of the things that I remember about it are not accurate. Uh, for instance, I remember that uh, my dad had this little record player that would only play 45 RPM records. Uh, hopefully most of your podcast listeners know what a 45 RPM record is. <laughs> And uh, I remember that as being an initial in the wall. Well, it wasn't an initial in the wall. It was in a bookshelf that was against the wall. But that's the way I remember it. There was this little hole in the wall with that record player in there, and he would play records on it. Now, there's no activity in that memory. It's just like it's a snapshot. But, you know, I remember all of the details from that. I was two years old when, when that when my family lived in that house, I was two years old. So here's the point in that whole exercise. If you can remember details from when you were three years old, how are you going to forget some event that happened yesterday or last week or last year? And if you go visit a hypnotist, even the things that you haven't thought about in a long time, uh, maybe even your birth moments, you, they would be able to bring out and you would be able to remember those things. So with the help of a, a hypnotist, you can actually, I mean, it's all there. You can remember every bit of it. And so that's why I say, that's one of two reasons why I say forgiveness is not forgetting. 
And the idea of trying to forget something is just futile. It's just letting go of the negative emotions. It's, it, that may be easy or difficult for you. I've got some other techniques that will help if it's difficult for you. The other part of it is that I have come to recognize that every experience is a blessing. Now, we may have experiences that we don't enjoy much in the moment. I don't like this, but there's a blessing in there somewhere. I may not recognize the blessing now. The blessing may not come, out, uh, come about until later, but the fact of the matter is that there's a blessing in it. So if I understand that every event is a blessing and I'm going to forget this event, what I'm saying is I'm going to give up that blessing. I also believe that I am who I am as uh, partly as a result of all the, the experiences that I've had, the culmination, you know, some of it is the innate spirit and some of it is all of the experiences that I've had in my life to say that I want to not have this experience basically says that I do not want to be who I am at the moment. And I do not cherish and bless who I am at the moment. So the, I don't want to give up part of who I am. Now there may be some habits that I have that I would like to change for other habits. That's a conscious decision to give something up because it's not serving me. It's not a giving up events and the things that I learned from in the past. And that's what forgetting means. So that's why I say forgetting is forgiving is not forgiving. There's too much gold in every experience that you have to forget about it. It's just letting go of the negative emotion. Just as simple as that. Now, if you're not used to doing that, that may be a little hard to do, but you can learn to do that. Here's another concept for you. Take that, the concept of everything is a blessing. When I have experiences now that I don't enjoy in the moment, uh, you know, I stubbed my toe or somebody cut me off in traffic or something like that. Rather than being, oh, I hate this. I don't like this. I don't agree with this. I, you know, all the, da, 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 all of the things that are uh, pushing against whatever it is that's happening, happening and experiencing with negative emotions, all of the things that are happening. Instead of doing that, my thoughts have since turned to, oh, I wonder what the blessing is that's come out of this, that will come out of this. Instead of focusing on the negative, the things that I don't like about the event, my focus is on, oh, what's the blessing that's going to come out of it? And I tell you that just that one little concept is life-changing. Yeah, that I love means, that. That means that everything that I experience, even the things that I don't like, I still like because my focus is on what's, what is the good that's going to come out of this. I love this idea of instead of reacting to a situation, you're anticipating. So you're walking through the living room, you stub your toe. You've already decided essentially what you're going to do or what your reaction is going to be. So then you get to anticipate whatever the blessing is. I stub yeah. my toe. So you know what? That means I'm going to be running five minutes late. I may avoid an accident because of that. Yeah. And a lot of times well, I think that those are, you know, they're unseen blessings that we don't even know about that we are, you know, that we're getting blessed with. 
Yeah, I think most of the blessings that you have generally, you you understand what they are at some point in time. It may be ten years from now, but at some point in time, you begin to recognize uh, what those um, what those blessings were. And you know, it's not just the anticipating; it's one step further than that. It's being grateful. And I'm not grateful that I stubbed my toe, but I'm grateful for the blessing that comes out of that. And so my, my vibration, if you will, my, um, my level of energy is on a level of gratefulness rather than being on the pain or, or unpleasantness or whatever it is. That's a low vibration. So I'm through that one little tweak in my mindset. I can help keep myself at a high vibration. Man, that's awesome. I absolutely love that. And so you bring up a, a great point, and, and we already mentioned that the one, one of the topics that uh, you coach people in is this idea of mindset or personal development. And so why is personal development and switching over your mindset, why are those important in our everyday life? Well, it's important to understand that our results the things that we experience in life, you know, our income, the house that we live in, the car that we drive, you know, the friends that we have, the friends that we don't have, the friends that we don't think of as friends, but rather people we'd rather stay away from. All of these things are dependent on what we do. And 98% of what we do is habitual. And the habits that we have generally were formed in our pre-adolescent years. We learned them not just as children, but as little children. I'll give you an example. My son's 25 years old. He still takes his bath in the evening because we always gave him a bath before we put him to bed. It doesn't really fit. I mean, it doesn't really serve him now to take a bath in the evening, it would do him better to do it in the morning, but he still does it in the evening. And I, I can't even think of, of all of them, but there's many, um, there's many things that he does that are just kind of habitual. I'll tell you something I'm kind of ashamed of. Uh, he has had a tendency to go low vibration and guess who he learned that from? Yes. And you, he learned that from me. You know, it's like you look at your children and you look at the things that they're doing. And if you don't like what they're doing, go look in a mirror. Because that's where they learned it from. You know, basically 98% uh, of what people do are habitual. And the habits that they formed, they formed in their early childhood, like up to six years old. Uh, up to six years old, the... Uh, Kids are just wide open. They're absorbing everything that's around them. And if you're, if you're setting an example that's not exactly what you want, well, I hate to mention it, but you're going to be dealing with it, and they're going to be dealing with it later on. There's a, a verse, the sins of the fathers are visited upon the sons to the third and fourth generation. You know, 98% of what we learn, 98% of the habits that we have, we learn from our dad or mother who learned it from their parents who learned it from their parents it really does get passed on so only through 
you know, really kind of focusing on the personal development, learning what those habits are, learning to recognize them, learning new ways of behaving and using those to replace the old ways of behaving. Only through doing that can we improve the results that we have. Think of a thermostat. You know what a thermostat does, right? You set the thermostat to 72 degrees, and if the house gets a little too hot, it turns the air conditioner on and cools it back off again. If the house gets a little too cold, it turns the heater on and brings it right back. Well, you have a thermostat. It's called your paradigm. And that thermostat is gonna try its best to hold you exactly where it's set right now. If you wanna make more money, guess what? You're gonna have to reset your thermostat. You're, one of the things you're gonna have to do is change your concept of what you're capable of earning. Now, we're all children of God. We're all capable of just about anything. I mean, spirit doesn't work in terms of impossibilities. Spirit works in terms of possibilities. Sorry, I don't understand. So, uh, let's see, got to kill the phone. <laughs> Google uh, Assistant is uh, being chatty, Kathy. So, <laughs> you, you know, you have, in order to, uh, in order to change what your results are, you know, if your relationships stink, guess what? Who, you know, you are the one that you're bringing to each relationship. So if you have a string of relationships that are not much fun, well, look no further than yourself. I think it was Gandhi that said, if you can't see God in the next person you meet, you need look no further. And the same thing is true. If you can't see your own actions and the things that are going on around you, you need look no further because everything that's in your, everything that you're creating is what you're experiencing. So you have to learn how to identify those and over, overcome those habits in order to get different results. And once people learn how to do that, then, you know, uh, my mentor, Bob Proctor, uh, increased his income. The first year that he really started on personal development, he went from making 4,000 a year to 175,000 a year. That's a 42, 43%. I mean, not percent times increase. Yeah. 42 times what he was before. Um, a lot of people that I know have turned their monthly in their yearly income into their monthly income. Well, that's 12 times. You know, they're making 12 times what they were uh, before they started on the personal development. So, you know, if you're happy where you are, and by the way, your paradigm will try to keep you where you are, and your paradigm will try to make sure that you're happy where you are. But, you know, as, as children of God, we're not here just to live a mundane life. We're here for always expansion. We're, you know, God's the creator God. And as children of God, we are creators also. Now, sometimes we create messes, but we are here to create, and we are here for uh, for always expanding results, and self-development is the way to get there. Yeah, man, I definitely understand. I think that's great, and I think that is something that, you know, as men, we need to we need to consistently and constantly be working on that. We need to be working on ourselves, developing ourselves, working on our mindset, working on that thermostat that you're talking about. What are some good ways or some practical steps that we can shift that thermostat in our own minds and that we can raise the standards that we can, 
that we can overcome the odds. You, you know, even when we think, you know, everything's working up against us and, you know, we're stuck in, you know, just one place financially or, you know, my, nobody in my family has ever had a dad. So I'm stuck to, to, to fail as a husband and a dad and, and stuff, you know, we've got this mindset. So how do we change our mindset or our thermostat? Well, one way of course is, is through study, uh, book, you know, I have so many books that I've read, um, too many to mention. I will mention a couple of them. Uh, 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 Scott Peck, who wrote the, Lo the Road Less Traveled, and especially The Road Less Traveled and Beyond, uh, or should, excuse me, not, yes, The Road Less Traveled and Beyond, but the road, uh, further along The Road Less Traveled. Another one is, uh, now interestingly, this book, when you look for it in the bookstore or the library, it's going to be in the children's section. It's not a children's book. It's entertaining for children, and they might get it, but it's really an adult book. And that book is The Missing Piece Meets the Big O. So books, uh, find the, all the books that you can on self-development. And don't just read them, study them. You know, like we have this idea that you read a book and it's, okay, I've read that book, you know, go on to the next one. Well, you don't really get it without the repetition. So you really need to study the book, read it through several times. Uh, secondly, be ready to criticize yourself. Be ready, and by criticize, I don't mean run yourself down. I mean, uh, look at what you're doing with a critical eye. Does this make sense? Is this really true? You know, uh, I remember the story about the woman who every time she would make a roast, she would cut both ends of the roast off before she put it in the oven. And somebody thought about that and it's like, why are you cutting the roast off on, you know, both ends of the roast off? And she didn't know. It's like, this is the way my mother did it. So they went and asked the mother, why do you cut the ends off of the roast before you put it in the oven? I don't know. My mother did it. That's the way my mother did it. And then they went back to the grandmother and asked her, why did you cut the ends off of the roast before you put it in the oven? And she said, well, you know, this is back in the depression and the pan that I had was too small for the roast. So I had to cut the ends off of it to fit it into the pan. There's so much of what we do. I mentioned that 98% of what we do is habitual. And this is not just behavior. This is, you know, mental ideas. This is habits of the mind that are 98% habitual. So we have to to first of all, learn to recognize when we're doing something habitually, habitual thoughts, like money's hard to earn. You know what? Ask Warren Buffett that. And I'll ask you this, how many hours in a day does Warren Buffett have? 168. Oh, you in know, a day, 24. <laughs> 168 hours in a day, yeah, right. <laughs> He has 24 hours a day. He doesn't have any more time than you or I do, but he has habituated uh, ways of doing things and way of ways of thinking about things that earn him money. And that's why he's very wealthy. You look at the people that are really wealthy. They have habituated ways of doing things and ways of thinking about things that move them forward instead of moving them back. So we have to be, um, as I say, not running yourself down, but, you know, uh, looking at what you're doing with a critical mind and really deciding, is this really true or not? You know, does this apply to somebody that's wealthy? Do they do this? 
do they think this? And if they don't, well, maybe that habitual belief needs to be replaced with something else. Uh, the second thing is uh, mentorship and personal development programs. Now I have a couple mentors. Uh, Raymond Aaron is really the first one that I came across. You know, here's something, just a, a big idea for you that never even occurred to me until relatively recently. The idea that every person should have at least one mentor, maybe several, but you really need to have one mentor. If you have too many, you know, it gets to be confusing because it'll all be telling you different things. But you need to have somebody that you're following, that you're trying to emulate, somebody that's doing, that's better off than you are, that's doing, getting better results than you are. And, you know, develop that relationship with them and learn what it is that they're doing so that you can change your habits to be more like their habits. And then when you get to their level, you find somebody else that's higher than them and you start learning from them. So mentorship, uh, I mentioned Raymond Aaron is one of mine. Uh, Bob Proctor is another uh, mentor. Uh, I just learned about mentors 10 or 15 years ago, not that long ago. Um, you know, what, what would my life have been like if I had really been seeking out and following mentors, you know, all of my adult life? I just didn't know to do that. Um, third thing, deep thought. Keep thinking about the events that are happening in your life, the situations and the results that you're getting in your life, and think about how could I have behaved a little differently to produce different results? How could I have, you know, what could we tweak here and there to get better results? Deep thought. And finally, uh, meditation. Now, some people might call meditation prayer. You could, you could think of it that way. Uh, you could think of the meditation as just trying to uh, cut the internal chatter down and and be receptive to the uh, the whisper, the the still quiet voice. So there's a saying: prayer is me talking to God. Intuition is God talking to me. So when I have ideas that come to me through intuition, that's God talking to me. And uh, one of the things that we learn is when you get that little idea that I need to go do something, you need to go do it. Because if you don't, what happens is that the, um, the intuition is kind of like a muscle. You know, if you use it a lot, it gets stronger. If you don't use it a lot, it gets weaker. So if when you get these little ideas, hey, I need to go do this, and you kind of ignore that, well, that muscle gets weaker, and you don't get those uh, insights and um, uh, epiphanies and so forth that you would have otherwise. That's a lot of where my insights have come from, is just the being receptive to them and, and thinking about the things that I'm learning as I go along, and then more and more insights come to me. Yeah, definitely. I love these steps, you know, understanding your thought, being critical of yourself, not necessarily putting yourself down, but analyzing where you're at, studying different books, uh, mentorship programs, deep thought, meditation, and, and understanding where, uh, where you're at in life. Uh, why do you think men typically, quote unquote, forget to develop themselves? And you kind of hit on this a little earlier. And, and what do you think the consequences are of ignoring your own mindset? Well, the consequence is that you're going to stay where you are. Um, 
Now, I mentioned most of us don't have a concept of personal development. I didn't have a personal concept of personal development. I mean, I went to college, you know, I got my engineering degree. Uh, you know, I've had lots of technical training and those types of things. That's a form of uh, personal development. But you know what? All of that training that I did on the computer stuff, it's all obsolete now. So um, most of us don't have a concept of, hey, if I go learn something from a book or from a person that can help me identify the habits that I have that aren't helping me, you know, think of the two steps forward and one step back. You know, what if I could turn that one step back into one step forward? Two steps forward and one step back is one step forward. Two steps forward and one step forward is three steps forward. So just making that one little tweak has increased by three times what your results are. So we don't have a concept of, of self-development. We just think in terms of trying harder or blaming others, you know, which is a convenient way of avoiding responsibility, such as, oh, well, he's lucky. You know, he's doing that because he's lucky. Warren Buffett's doing that because he's lucky. No, he's habituated better ways of doing things. Uh, or she wouldn't let me. Or something like that. It's always, you know, it's always out there. Well, I got news for you. Your results come from in here. They don't come from out there. They may come through things from out there, but they come from the what you're, what it is that you're doing. And as I say, the consequences of ignoring your own mindset of neglecting your personal development is you stay the same. Your thermostat stay, stays stuck on, you know, if you're making 30,000 a year, if you don't do something to change that thermostat, that's all you have a concept of making. And you're never going to make more money until you have a concept of making more money than what you're making right now. God didn't create us to be mush. God created us to be creative to continually seek expansion, allowing my world to be defined by my habits, including my thought habits, which I learned as a child, condemn me to live a much smaller life than I could. And I don't believe that that's what God wants for me. Yeah, definitely. I absolutely love that. I think as dads, you know, that's where our role comes in to where we can teach and show our children that they can be and do more than what they ever could have imagined. You know, I love, that's one of the things I love about having small children. My, my five-year-old right, right now uh, wants to be an astronaut. She wants to be a waitress. She wants to be a mom. She wants to be a doctor. And she just recently added something else to that list. Uh, most adults, we are, you know, we're of the mindset and, and stuff. Oh, sweetie, you know, you've, you've just got to pick one. You can only do one thing. Don't throw so much on your plate. What I tell her is you absolutely can do that. You know, one of the things I homeschool my kids and one of the things that we're learning about is we're learning about space. We're looking about, we're learning about the different planets and, and different things. And I said, you know, you could be the first female to walk on Mars. Yeah. If that's what you want to do. Do it. If yeah. you want to be a doctor, you want to find a cure for cancer. Good. Awesome. Go do it. If you want to be the first woman president of the United States, good, go do it. Yeah. And so it's, I think it's not it's, a question of you can only do one. It's a question of which one are you going to do first? Exactly. And so, you know, I think as, as dads, we've got to get into this mindset of, you know, one, we've got to focus on ourselves that, Hey, you know, we can do more, we can accomplish our goals. We can accomplish our dreams. 
And then we can turn right around and we can implement those goals, not our specific goals, but those goals that our children have and encourage them to go out and conquer the world. Right. Here, I have a good example for you along that line. Uh, when I was in elementary school, I don't remember exactly how old I was. Uh, back then, there were uh, greeting card companies that would uh, enlist children to go sell their cards door to door. And this was, you know, back in the days before the concept of free range children was a, a thing. You know, back then, that was the norm. You know, nowadays, people have gotten to uh, have descended too much into the worldly fear. So, um, but, I, you know, I looked at that and it's like, wow, I could do that. And so I ordered the packet unbeknownst to my parents. And of course, when the packet came in, my mother noticed that. Now, my, I know that my mother was, you know, she, she thought that she had my best interest in mind when she had the conversation with me. But basically she was saying, you know, oh, there's, you know, people aren't going to want this stuff. You know, you're going to get lots of rejections. Oh, you know, this is going to be hard. It's a blah, 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 blah. And you know what? She so discouraged me that I never even went out and knocked on the first door. And I bought that paradigm hook, line, and sinker. And I lived with it most of my adult life. In fact, that is a big paradigm that I'm having to work to overcome right now, the idea that I could sell stuff to people. Well, you know, the fact of the matter is we're all selling stuff to other people all the time. We have a bad attitude about it sometimes, but you know, the fact of the matter is that that's how you get what you want sometimes is by selling the idea to someone else. So um, what would it have been like in my life if instead of looking at all of the negatives and all of the other reasons why not. And by the way, this was her paradigm speaking. I mean, she thought she was doing the right thing, but that was her paradigm speaking. What if she had said to herself, you know, wow, he's taken some initiative. He's going to go out and do something to earn money. And, uh, you know, maybe there's going to be some rejection for it. I wonder how, you know, how can I find some way of encouraging him and coaching him or maybe finding him a mentor that can teach him how to do the sales part of it better so that he can be successful at that. Instead of focusing on the being unsuccessful, if she had focused on the being successful and on encouraging me, think of the difference that would have made in my life. So that's as a, as a father and boy, I wished I'd understood these concepts when my son was little, I could have done I could have done a lot better job as a dad, you know, it's hindsight's 2020, but really, as you're saying, taking the point of view of what can I do to encourage, what can I do to uplift, what can I do to, um, allow the child to grow in the way that they want to grow. Here's a concept for you. Each one of us brings into this world with us, our own personal power. We each have our own personal, unique power. And when I do something that, that matches up with that power, then I'm most effective because I'm bringing my whole spiritual energy into this, whatever it is that I'm doing. And 
if I'm doing something not following my power, like becoming an engineer because my dad was an engineer and that's what he wanted me to be or, you know, something that somebody else decided I should be. And I bought it because I was too young to know any better. Right. So if I'm doing something that does not align with my power, first of all, I don't have my whole power to bring to it. And second of all, the little power that I am bringing to it, I'm burning some of that trying to be somebody that I'm not. So I can't be nearly as effective as I am if I'm living aligned with my power. Now, I want to differentiate this from, um, you know, this, this concept of why am I here? You know, what, what am I supposed to do while I'm here? Well, what I'm supposed to do is be a child of God. If I work within my power, then I'm going to get the best results. If I work outside of my power, I'm not going to get the best result. How do I know what my power is? It's where my passion is. Your passion tells you what your personal power is and your passion. It may be similar to what everybody else, to what some other people are, not everybody, of course, but it's not going to be the same thing. It's going to be unique, your own unique power. And when you are working in your own passion, that's when you're working in alignment with your power. Man, I absolutely love that. You know, uh, Gay Hendricks talks about uh, this kind of in his uh, book, The the Big Leap, talking about his zone of genius. And when you understand that, you understand where you're at, you can excel at your strengths and, and play yeah. to them. And, and you can really, you know, that's when you start really making a, uh, a, a good difference. Uh, so as we start wrapping up here, what is some of the best resources? You've mentioned a couple of different books. Uh, what are some of the best resources that you've used to develop yourself mentally and to help yourself understand where you're at and, and how you can get to that next place? Well, of course, the, the um, coaching program that I work with is something that's, you know, really helping me to grow. Um, I, you know, I had thought about this question in terms of what to tell other people to do. And, um, uh, one of them is, uh, read my book rules of the spirit. Uh, it's available on Amazon. It's also available on my website, rules of the spirit.com. Uh, now if you're of a fundamental mindset, you may find that book challenging and you might not like it, but if you're a little more open-minded about it and you're willing to be teachable, then it will just absolutely blow your mind. It will, it will, I've actually had someone that read that book told me that was the most important book that they had read. So it'll give you an idea of, you know, okay, how does the world work? How does spirit work? And it all makes sense. And it's all real simple. Uh, so you'll learn to what it means to behave based on spiritual laws, not that work, not what the world says, the way things work. Um, and then I mentioned Shel Silverstein's The Missing Piece Meets the Big O. Um, look for it in the children's section. It's not a children's book. Uh, if you don't, if you read that book and you don't get it, then reach out to me and I'll help you understand the book. Um, finally, remember this, this little phrase, willingness to allow beingness willingness to allow beingness. Now this is my definition of the word grace. You know, the week 
we use the word grace in you know Christian dialogue a lot, but we don't really know what it means. That's what grace means. It means willingness to allow beingness. It means that I'm willing to allow you to be who you are, even if I don't like some parts of who you are, but you are the one that's responsible for you, not me. And for me to just say, okay, I'm responsible for me. And I'm the only one that's, I'm the only one that I'm responsible for. Then I can focus on myself and allow other people to be who they want to be and to create what they want to create. That just makes life a whole lot easier. And it's really the way of being loving of the people around you. When you have developed this habit of being willing to allow other people to be who they are, that's really what it means to love people. I absolutely love that. Paul, as we wrap up here, uh, tell us a little bit more about your business. How can people get in contact with you if they want to learn a little bit more about you? Well, they can reach out to me through my main webpage, which is soupofpossibilities.com. There's four eyes in possibilities, soupofpossibilities.com. There's a contact form on that page, and that would probably be the best way uh, to do it. I also have a Facebook page, which is fb.com slash soupofpossibilities. So you can, if you do Facebook, you can reach out to me uh, that way. And uh, I also have a Instagram page now. I just started it a few weeks ago. Uh, and it is, guess what? Instagram super possibilities. So uh, those three ways are the best ways to get a hold of me and just, you know, fill out the contact form, reach out to me. And I'm very good at responding and getting back to people. And it's awesome. Paul, thank you so much for joining us on the Wrestling with Fatherhood podcast. I know you've given myself and our listeners a lot to think about. So uh, thank you for joining us. Thank you. Uh, if you'd like to learn a little bit more about Paul and what he's all about, check out his website, soupofpossibilities.com. Absolutely love that, the name of that website, Soup of Possibilities. Because when we understand a lot of the stuff that Paul was talking about, the possibilities are endless. And once we understand that as dads, we can turn around, we can implement that into our sons and daughters. And then at that point, our sons and daughters and and, and us included in that, we can turn around and make this world such a better place. So, hey, amen to that. So if you would like to learn a little bit more about what Wrestling with Fatherhood is all about, please check out our website at www.fatherhood.com. Dot com Again, that's www.fatherhood.com. Also, something new that I'm really excited about, check out our new uh, Fatherhood Facebook group called Summit of Fatherhood. This group is ran by my friend Ray Matz of Game Changing Dads. I had him on the summit uh, about a month ago. And I've also had him on my podcast. Uh, so Ray of Game Changing Dads and myself are the ones who are running it. So please come and check that out. Uh, Thank you guys for listening. I hope you guys all have an amazing day.